Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Baldacci. And today for episode number 26, I'm talking with John Parker. This episode is really fun for me, and let me tell you why. John's the CEO of KeyPro, a custom dev shop based in Mexico City, and he's been an avid listener to this podcast since the beginning, and recently has been applying some lessons from it. The results he's seen have been tremendous. We recorded this episode in May, and at that time, John had already beaten his previous annual records, and there are still another six months to go for the year. It's not too bad, is it? So today, John is sharing the lessons he's taken away from the show, how he applied them, what he struggled with along the way, and how you can use those lessons to accelerate the growth of your own agency. And I know if you're listening to this podcast, you're not short of ideas on how you can improve your agency, but you may need help deciding what advice to act on and how to actually implement it. So I'm hoping this episode will give you the extra little nudge you need to get started. So without further ado, here's John. John, thanks for joining me today. Well, nice to be here. You've made some really big gains with your agency this year, and you guys do you do custom software and e-commerce, and your agency is called KeyPro, right? Yeah, that's correct. Before we dive too deep into all the changes you've made, I want to back up a little bit. What did your agency look like, just for all the listeners, what did it look like when you were starting out? When we were starting out, we weren't really sure what we wanted to do. Like most people listening, I, uh, I have a, some horrible horror stories about uh, partnering up with the wrong people and, you know, getting with the wrong clients, etc. And in the beginning, we tried to sort of make an agency that would foster uh, some, kind of, some sort of product creation. You know, we, we really wanted to get into the startup game, but being me- based in Mexico City, we re- really didn't have access to all the venture capital that, you know, uh, is perhaps easier in the States. So we thought, we're going to finance ourselves and we're going to start doing uh, projects and sort of the, the agency was sort of like a, like a side business that, in, in that it didn't have the main focus. And we started building an agency and hiring people to be sort of CEOs of small startups. And I, I mean, just by saying that, I get the chills. You can, <laughs> you can imagine how bad that went. <laughs> so uh, we started building a very large piece of software for a very big company here in Mexico. And we started using the profits, which, which were really good, to finance the building of a, of a small startup uh, that was called Swap. And it was, it was meant to be sort of like a mobile marketplace uh, where you could buy anything uh, and get it sort of instantly from whoever was uh, closer to you. That started to backfire gradually and then suddenly... The hired CEO couldn't handle it, and I mean, he he shouldn't have been expected to. So I jumped in, and sort of I, I started to, to sort of be like the CEO of both things, and we we started to have a lot of problems. And, and my partner, who always said uh, we should think of him as a as a financials guy and, and stuff, he he said he couldn't handle this, and he thought he wasn't really putting anything into the business, and he jumped ship. And we were left stranded with uh, no projects uh, in the agency part, a very drained startup that wasn't, you know, it didn't have any traction, it didn't have any, any you know, innovation in it. It, it, it was really just us working. 
and so we had to struggle and, and, and rethink ourselves as, you know, what are we going to do? Are we going to keep uh, working in the, in, the, in the product game or are we going to focus on the, on the agency? After a, a long time of thinking it, I came to the conclusion that abandoning the sexy idea of the startup wasn't such a bad idea if the agency was going to keep us afloat. So that, that sort of gave us a focus we needed, and, and we started getting clients for the agency, and you know that's when it started to, to move ahead. I think a lot of people have that experience of launching an agency and using that to kind of bootstrap a startup or a product of their own, or even later on an agency. So many agencies seem like they want to create products in that. So I think a lot of people can relate to balancing multiple different things that are very different at the same time. And so when you did decide to focus on the agency, was it just the clients started pouring in, you guys were making all this money and it was great? Or, or what, what was it like? Was it a struggle at the beginning? Well, that's rarely the case, you know. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> we knew a few people and uh, we started calling them. We started getting referrals. And, you know, we were known for, for having done a really good job developing our app. So... We started getting clients, and the first client was great. And I think a lot of people have this freelancer syndrome where they think that having an agency is just like having a lot of freelancers together or something like that. So the first project was great. Uh, we started developing, and, and, and the client was very happy. And so I thought, well, it's time to look for the next project. And the next project came along, and I realized I started this to, to think I, I needed to hire more people and I needed somebody to f fill the gap between the salespeople and the management people and the, the people doing the development and the people doing the customer service. And that was sort of a big step, you know, realizing that uh, making an agency is not the same as, as being a lot of freelancers. No, that's definitely like one of the biggest things that you hear is that when you're making the transition from one person to multiple people, multiple projects, multiple processes, there's just so much going on that it does create a lot more work, a lot more management, a lot more things to track that it does quickly sort of get out of hand. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I, I've always thought of this analogy where not because you're a mechanic, uh, you can open up a shop. You know, it, it, it doesn't work that way. And, you know, I sort of lived it in, in, in flesh. The one I always use, I have the same idea where it's like just because you're a really good cook doesn't mean you should start a restaurant because there's so much else that goes along with it other than making the food. But you're you're a technical guy, you're a coder, but it seems like at this point you've learned a lot of those skills you didn't originally have about the management, about the business processes. What's changed that's helped you grow your agency? Well, I think the most painful thing is it's the hiring I think that if, if you put a really strong filter on who you hire, then everything else becomes less important. For example, in, in companies that start growing way too big, they start focusing way too much on management because they know that they aren't getting all the A players, so they need to be uh, you know, micromanaging some people, uh, being behind other people, uh, uh, calling, etc. You know, all the things management includes. And... So it was painful to, to realize that perhaps the people that were suited for building a startup weren't suited for working on the agency. Oh, that's interesting. So, you know, 
I sort of thought it was going to be like a transparent thing, you know, where you're building something and either it's for yourself, for your company, or for somebody else. It doesn't matter. But it turns out that the motivation behind it, it you know, it sort of uh, shifts and you've you got to be able to adapt to that. What do you think it is that makes it so some people aren't quite cut out to work for an agency? Working for a, an agency means you can have all the all the tools in place for you to be able to deal with uh, with your customer demands and your customer requests and your customer calls for help and in in systems and stuff. But at the end of the day, you, you gotta be able to to pick up the phone, answer and and put your client at ease. And that's something something you rarely have to do in a startup. In a startup, you, you're thinking so big. You're thinking about, you know, the big picture, and if, if this guy doesn't want it, then he's not our market. But when, when you're an agency and you have a client, then this is your guy, and whatever he says, that's it. Right. You want to make them a, a good product, but you also need, there's a lot of, like, more kind of social aspects to it. You need to appease them. You need to make sure you're being attentive. You need to make sure you're bringing them in the loop and letting them know what's going on and all of that as well. Yeah, exactly. And, for example, we have uh, we, we used to have a, a developer that was really good at uh, you know he he would sit down and he would create awesome things and I mean he would really sur surprise us but the fact of the matter was that he was unreliable and uh, that was short of bearable in a startup mode but in the agency that was uh, that we couldn't tolerate that uh, right you have deadlines exactly we have deadlines and at the end of the day uh, it hurts to say it and I don't like it but a client is more much more satisfied with. A product that's on time, that with a product that's perfect, but you know, you never know when it's going to be done. Talking, especially with a lot of um, other agency owners, especially ones that work with enterprise level clients, bigger clients, the code can't be horrible. the The product needs to work, but the client would much rather just have no surprise along the way. They don't want missed deadlines. They don't want bad communication. They just want it to work the way it's supposed to with no surprises. Yeah, exactly. And if the design is not perfect, then, you know, as an agency, that, that's not as relevant. And that sort, of, that sort of thing sort of slips by. And it's okay. And if you fix it, then you're not going to have a major problem. How do you make sure you're getting a client what they want? Like, do you have any processes in place to make sure that this kind of back and forth is easier? Or how does that work? Well, there's certain areas where you can sort of know what a client's going to want. You know, when you're building a store, then... 95% of the time, you know what they want. So you can ask for, for A, B, C, and D, and you can return a store, and they're going to be happy. When you're building custom software, then the story is a little different. And uh, we're working on it, and actually, um, we're actually starting to build the, the roadmaps that, that you actually talked with. Uh, I, I, I don't remember exactly. It was Ben Lee. Yeah, yeah. it was Ben Lee. Uh, but it was a reason that we haven't really gotten into it. Yeah, and because that's one of the main benefits of the roadmap, especially for something like a fully custom software product, is that you don't really know enough to be able to say what is or isn't needed. And that's what the roadmaps can do is they get you and the client on the same page to sit down and figure out, all right, what features are needed? How should we prioritize those? What can fit in your budget and all this and that? And, and that's something that so many agencies don't think about, but it really is important if you want to have a more standardized and smooth process. 
Yeah, exactly. And if you can sell them on the idea that that's worth it, you know, that knowing that is worth a project by itself, then, you know, that they're sold. One thing you were saying to me when we were talking before is that the most important process starts the moment a customer buys something in that you need to sort of have someone, you have your project manager reach out to them and kind of bring them in a loop and make sure you minimize some of those that back and forth. Can you explain a little bit what you have the project manager do and why that's so important? Yeah, so the project manager is the person in charge of sort of bridging the gap between the, the people who develop and the client. And uh, the way we do that is that in the in the product that we have very well defined, like the stores or the websites and, and, and everything, in, in, you know, you can sort of put in, in in a brief email. We have a list of things. For example, in a store, we're going to ask for the store's name, a detailed list of our products. We actually send an, an, a CSV file with uh, with a sample of, of how we need the product to be structured. We need the product photos. We need the logo, how we can use the colors. And as long as we have... It's, it's a list of about 10, 10 things. And as long as we have them to start, which we almost never do, but, you know, we, we sort of get 9 out of 10 or 8 out of 10, and, and that's, that's, like, way better than having nothing. As long as we get that, then we pretty much are set to start working and, and not ha- being in this back and forth with a client and asking, hey, do you like this, do you like that, and et cetera, et cetera. How long ago did you start being so um, deliberate about getting this information up front? Was it something you did from day one, or is it a new process? No, not at all. It was uh, <laughs> it was something we started about uh, four or six months ago. And how has that changed things now that you're you're able to uh, up front say, this is what we need from you guys? Let, let's just say that project managers enjoy managing the project, but they don't enjoy having to talk every day, all day with a client, you know? So we realized that we were putting it off. We, we were actually avoiding calling the client because we didn't have the stuff. And that actually hurt the project in the long run. But in this way, since the client knows what we need and they've either sent it or not, then we can either email them and say, hey, you haven't sent this, so we can't really start anything until we have it. Or we have it. And then not calling is, is uh, as good as, as, as showing the project uh, at the end of the deadline. You said a few things that, that kind of jumped out at me because I think having this checklist up front helps for a few reasons where one, it gets you all the information you need so you don't have to every week say, oh, hey, we need this. So no, what about that? And it saves you a ton of time and kind of just stress from not having to keep chalking the client, keep pushing things back. But another thing is psychological with a client because at that point, You've told them what you need from them. If they haven't given something to you, it's not like a surprise to them. If you say that, oh, well, we haven't gotten this, so... Yeah, it's not like, hey, you're going to need that. Yeah. Exactly. So when, when when you've set the requirements and the expectations up front, it makes it so much easier to say, hey, I'm sorry, we're going to miss things by a week, but it's because we still need this piece of information for that we asked in the beginning. So it makes things kind of... It makes you guys on the same page a bit. Yeah, totally. And uh, you'd be amazed at the kind of things that we thought were completely clear. And the client, you know, most clients don't uh, think the other way around. Like, for example, when you're building a store, we thought we're going to build a store. We're not going to build an, uh, a list of inventory. So we didn't worry about uh, about the products that we loaded. And then pro- projects started coming in where clients needed 
a thousand or two thousand projects loaded into the into the database, and and you know how people are, they send word documents with a, with a information that right you know completely uh, a different project, and so you know being able to tell the client you know we're gonna load twenty five pro- uh, products to begin with, or if you want uh, another package, yeah, we can do this, we can do that, and that gives uh, the client a lot of a lot of ease, you know, to know that you know they're they're they know that their products are gonna get loaded or not. Yeah, no, that's a great point because so many times you think about, we think about what we're creating from our standpoint. We forget that the client hasn't built a hundred of these different stores. This is their store. This is the only one they've thought about. And so they don't always know how everything works. And so adapting the process to be able to take that into consideration must be, a, must make a big difference from their perspective. Yeah. And you have to tie it to, to sales, you know, because that's the most important part. You need to be able to, to make your product sound great. But also be able to to show its limitations and and you know where it's not going to go as far as they might think. Mm-hmm. Right, you're not going to promise that you're going to build them the next Facebook or anything for a thousand dollars, but you're going to get them what they need. But you want to be clear about what they won't necessarily get. Yeah, that's that's totally it. So I know you're also working a bit on your sales process. What is that like currently? Like, how are you? usually getting new clients how are you getting them on board what is that like so the answer used to be i i don't know <laughs> and that's what we're working on uh being able to to make processes so clear and and being able to delegate at that level i can focus on my agency but i can focus on sales i i enjoy managing a project but i can only do one or two and I don't want to be limited by that. So I need to be able to, to focus on sales because I think that's where I can provide most value. And uh, right now we're working on it. We're, we've built uh, Facebook campaigns. Those tend to work uh, particularly with, with very well-defined projects, not with, you know, like saying, hey, we're going to solve every problem you have. <laughs> right. And also calling our customers. A happy customer is a great tool, you know. If you worked with a customer and they were really happy and you call them and, and you, you ask them like, hey, who's three people I can call that have similar problems to the ones we solved for you that they will gladly help you? Word of mouth is very important. And I always say like don't depend just on it, but it still can give you a ton of great clients. And But usually the way it works is people kind of let it happen naturally. They hope their client will refer them to somebody else, but they forget you can just ask them to refer you to somebody. You can say, hey, do you know anybody else who is suffering from this problem that I could help? Another point that I want to touch on is that you're talking about freeing up your time and letting you focus on, on the high-value tasks like sales. In the beginning, what was your time primarily spent on before you had made all these changes? I probably spent about half of my time being around clients and, and, and not potential new clients, just clients we already had, solving the problems, uh, you know, mediating between them and project managers. It was, it was, that half of my time was a nightmare. The rest, I probably spend about 20% uh, fixing bugs and and helping the coders with with some issues they might have. And the rest was uh, sort of managing sales, accounting, which I need to delegate now. But, you know, that that kind of thing. Now I can, that first half of my time, uh, I don't know. It occupies ten percent in a bad week. Yeah. What is your What does your time look like now? I think like eighty percent sales. I, I've cut down my my coding and my sales and marketing, and I'm on, and my coding and and development has been like about ten percent. 
and the other ten percent is is following up with project managers. I, I've I've changed project managers and and they are superstars now, and and that seems to to work out. Now that you've been able to shift your time towards kind of managing your project managers and sales, what has that done for your agency? What has it done for Keypro? Uh, well, it, it's definitely allowed it to. It hasn't yet the level we'd like, but it's given us a the scope of how we we might scale. You know. If if that's if the bottleneck used to be me and I've and I've been removed, then finding new capable project managers is a lot easier than finding copies of me or cloning me. <laughs> right, and I mean, I, I know you said you're not where you want to be yet, but in an earlier conversation, you said you've already beat your sales goals, and it's only May. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. <laughs> so you've still grown a ton in, in the time being. Yeah, we're really happy about that. Going forward, like where where do you want to get to? What do you see as like the next things you need to work on? The the creating products and you know making something that's that's new and that's that sort of has that startup sexiness is is still attractive to me. But um, I think the main thing is making uh, the plane fly itself. That's that that pretty much sums it up. You know, I need to be able to find people for every role. And document every every part of the process because we're in an era where people don't want to grow old in a company, and I and I get that, I totally get that. But then we need to be able to have a high rotation with low uh, training cycles. No, I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're right. When people are changing jobs as much as they are, you need to have processes so that the new people that replace them aren't creating everything over from scratch. That they have something that they can follow because. Right now, in most organizations, if especially if the agency owner, but if any of the senior employees left us overnight, there would be like a thousand questions you would need to have answered. But like, oh, what do we need to do with this? What about that? What about this? And like not being able to answer those questions is kind of a scary thing. You know, and, and we actually lived it. When one of our developers left, being such a small company in the beginning, it was like, what are we going to do now? Nobody knows how to do this. And filling that gap was painful, and, and, and you know, I thought, I'm never going to do that again. It took me a while, but now we're documenting everything we do, and we have processes, and we're actually starting to, to use uh, integrate things using, uh, I don't know how you pronounce it, Zapier. Do you know what that is? I, yeah, I always said Zapier, but someone corrected me. I think it's Zapier. Zapier, yeah, that, yeah. Makes, that makes some sense. Uh, we're trying to use, I mean, I've used Zapier for, that's my, like, my secret sauce. Because whenever a client says, hey, I need this to be solved today, then I try to, to solve it with Zapier before I dive into any code or anything. And, and, and it's done wonders for us. So what will some of those like integrations, the zaps, I guess, what will those look like? Like What would be some of the ones you'd work for on? For example, automating the, the, this email we've talked about, this welcome email. Then you know, we, we, have a, we work with, with HubSpot, the CRM. And then we could integrate it so that when a client gets into the phase where they've been they've signed a contract, then we automatically send them this this email, and we could actually work forward to read the the, the responses and sort of uh, start processing the the contents and and know what's missing with uh, with another service which we haven't done that far, but that's the idea, you know, to automate pretty much everything, and don't tell the people that that are working with me, but. Odds are that if I can replace them with a machine, I probably will. 
you'd be foolish not to like it. Like <laughs> I know what you're saying is that it's not like a fun thing to say, but when it comes down to it, everyone gets better results when you can just let the systems do their work on their own. Yeah, and everybody can uh, focus on on the creative side. That's that's where we're heading now. So, what is that like? Focusing on the creative side. What does that mean for you guys? Well, it's a good question because uh, I actually thought that having an agency was going to be like it had a spot in the future. But I now uh, I I had a chance to travel to to Silicon Valley and, and meet with some very interesting people, and they told me that my business was doomed, and I really didn't get it. But then, then I did, and I realized that the creative side in an agency is sort of getting thinner and thinner. And today is like, you know, thinking what are new solutions we can sell, what are uh, new things we can develop, how can we provide value. But I think there's going to come a time sooner rather than later where we're going to find out that a machine's going to be able to do that, you know. There's been attempts already, like, I don't know if you've heard about the, the grid, yeah, and uh, I think that I, I I actually subscribe to that, and they haven't really uh, fulfilled on their promise. But it was really for, scary. For people, who, yeah, for people who don't know, can you just describe what that promise was? Yeah, the grid actually showed a video which was uh, really promising for a lot of people, a lot very scary for agencies, for development agencies, and it said that it was the last uh, website you're gonna ever need because it's gonna adapt to whatever you're gonna do, whatever you're gonna need. If, if it's selling products, then, you know, you just throw throw product. The AI is going to know exactly what it needs to do to show it as a store. If you sh- if you throw in a video, then it's going to form it around it. And it, it, it was uh, the, the promise was that web design was dead. One thing I've, I've heard talking to a few different people in the episode that actually just went out this morning talks a bit about this is that there's definitely a divide between strategy and execution. And a lot of big kind of the old school Mad Men style agencies are shifting towards just doing strategy. And then they're having other agencies who all they do is they don't, they're not going to plan out your store, your website, or anything like that. But if you give them a plan, they can cheap and cheaply and efficiently build it for you. A lot of the guests I've had on the show who have talked about providing value, have talked about adding on strategy instead of just selling technology, I feel like that's you can never fight ai forever but those value adds of the strategy of the things that can't easily be automated i think are where kind of like the future lies for profiting for an agency yep i agree but um i, I don't know i i, I think You're pessimistic I, i'm not I'm, I'm actually optimistic for ai but i think right, pessimistic right. for my business but yeah, I think I think the the opportunity is gonna yield is gonna be you know amazing. I mean, just think about all the people that are gonna need something to do. Just that there's a business right there, you know. And uh, I I think that every time I think about it, I think I'm in the wrong business because I should be focusing on what's gonna be profitable when the AI really hits us. Like with WordPress, when WordPress came around, people thought. That and themes and all of that, like, oh, that'll be the death of web design. Because before then, you would need teams of people to just get out a simple website. And then with WordPress, almost overnight, anybody could get something up that looked okay. And so it, it hopefully is not an abrupt change where one day every web designer is unemployed. But is, I'm hoping it's a little more gradual than that. But how are you 
preparing yourself for that? Is it just basically putting your business, your agency on autopilot so you have the time to look into other things? Well, that's one side. And uh, we uh, are preparing, you know, to become sort of like this uh, strategy uh, sort of agency that you talk about where we focus on adding value because we know that's where the business is. Right now, we're actually focusing on, on having a great team and be able to provide some, some, some great stuff because the fact of the matter is that uh, being based in Mexico City, the idea of, of being the, the executors for, for a, a strategy agency in the U.S., which, which we've done a couple of times, is really attractive, you know? So we're actually focusing on, on that for now and seeing how much, how much time we have left there. And, and, you know, we'll probably see what we do when, when it hits the fan, you know? Right. But, but that's a, the right mindset because you, cause you're not necessarily planning 50 years in the future. You're saying this is what we're doing for the next phase. And then if that doesn't work or if it doesn't last too long, we'll look at the next thing. But you're taking it one step at a time. Yep, that's correct. We're taking one step at a time and uh, we first want to make this work and then we'll see what we do when the robots hit, hit us. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I want to go back to something because I think this applies to it is that the taking it one step at a time thing, because I feel like a lot of people, when they listen to this podcast or, or read anything about agencies out there, they get overwhelmed and they say like, I can't just overnight change the way I price my services or I can't just stop doing proposals and just all of a sudden do road mapping. But it seems like you've, you've worked to implement this bit by bit. So how, how have you been able to kind of do that in a way that's not too overwhelming? Well, it's all about, you know, testing and, and seeing things as tests as, as long as you don't know how they're going to work out. And, you know, being sort of crazy enough to try them. For example, I, uh, the, our pricing strategy, we used to charge by the hour. And that was sort of uh, delicate because you never know uh, if you don't roadmap, then you don't know how much hours you're going to take. And then some projects end up taking a lot more than you thought. And, you know, that, that that's the problem we all know about. Right. So charging by the hour is like a safer method because you're, you're never going to be as screwed over by yeah. scope creep or things like that. That's right. And then one day I went to see a client and he was telling me about his problem. And, and I was having a hard time convincing him he should hire us. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to change my strategy. I've read about it. I, I know enough about it. I'm going to throw it in. And then in front of him in the first meeting, I, I, I started making doing the math with him. And I was like, so uh, you don't know. So you're, you don't have this information. So you're not charging your clients. And that's costing you X amount of dollars in revenue per month and X amount of dollars uh, of revenue per year. Pay us X amount. And for, for one year's worth, you're going to get uh, your revenue back for the rest of your business life. And it was impossible to say no, you know. And even though it was pretty expensive if you thought about it from the hours, and, and if, if he would have said, uh, which some clients have, if he would have said, you know, and then if you charge by the hour, then it means you're going to take these long, and, and it didn't add up, and, uh, or, or, or the hours were crazy. And he didn't because he was thinking about the, the bottom line, and that's where we all should focus on he was fine. Once you touched about the value, he said, okay. He, I, I think he sort of didn't have a, I, I, I left him without a way out, you know? It was hard. He had no objections because it was so clear. Yeah. If he said no, he 
to himself, he's going to look like, you know, I took the wrong decision. Right, I'm giving up all this money if I say yeah, no. I'm, I'm giving up free money just because I'm stubborn. That, that was on his mind. And then so from there, is, did you just start pitching everything on value or what was that like? Um, well, yeah, that's sort of the idea now. Uh, although we have clients that are very specific about what they want. And so we're going to you know, try to get them on, on roadmapping the project first if they want to do it that way. And um, we still have some problems talking to clients in those terms, but that's our focus, you know, focusing on, on the bottom line because that's what, what matters to, to everybody, to us and, and to our clients. No, and I like when you say that it's it, that's your focus because you're, you're not making it seem as though just one day you flipped a switch and all of your clients are value-based now and it was just a super easy thing. You're saying like, no, we, it clearly wasn't working before on hourly, so I tried something new. It worked, but it hasn't always worked. We keep kept trying it, and we're still doing some of the older pricing, but it's, it's a work in progress. And I think that's going to be a reassuring for a lot of listeners to hear because it's such a kind of daunting thing to them that they're changing the entire way that they do business. Yeah, and uh, they should do it little by little, you know. And they and every, something that really helps here and that has uh, – pulled me through a lot of things is having an abundance mindset and thinking there's a lot of people with a lot of problems and I'm an agency and I can fix them and I can help them and if this guy uh, you know if, if, if this thing I'm testing doesn't work out and I lose a, and I lose a, a potential client then I'm gaining a lot of knowledge and that's 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 worth it I mean it, it, it sort of hurts uh, in the moment you know when you think about I lost a uh, hundred thousand dollars but you know it's a lesson that was probably expensive but it was worth it Hold that thought because we're going to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, John is going to talk about how to handle it when clients push back on this new form of pricing. This is one of the most common struggles agency owners have, so hang tight for just 30 seconds and he'll tell you how. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Now, Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so that you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets or on the back of napkins or whatever else you're using and start getting the insights into how your team is actually spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. Our best clients are agency owners, and while they love the accountability that comes with it, it's sort of like Upwork but without all the crazy fees. Where they really find the true value is by being able to connect Hubstaff with a project management tool to see what tasks are taking up their team's time. Think of it as Google Analytics for your team. I do want to warn you, though, there's a good chance once you see this data, you're going to be sick when you realize how little time is spent actually delivering the project itself. But you can't set up the procedures to make your agency more efficient if you're just guessing where time is being spent. So give Hubstaff a try so you can stop guessing and start streamlining your agency. Head over to hubstaff.com today and sign up for a free, no credit card required, 14-day trial and get your agency back on track. All right, now back to John. So going back to that, what were, you said some of the clients did push back on the value pricing. What was that like? How did it go? You know, it's, uh, it's mostly people who are really, really old school, you know. They need to know why this project costs this much. You know, they don't like getting a, a proposal with a number. They, they want to know why. And uh, sort of breaking it up, some clients are, are, are fine with the first breaking up. We, we, we sort of try to break it up as much as we can, but it's difficult when, you, when you're talking about value. And there are clients who are like, I want to know who's going to do what when. And to be honest, we've, we've told them we can't do that. 
you know, we don't know, and that's there's a risk involved in in this project, and and we don't know, and that that's the honest answer, and and uh, one or two clients have walked away because we we don't know what what who's gonna do what when. And I think that is probably the hardest thing for most agency owners to do. And because, like, I agree with you. Like, at a certain point, and everyone I've talked to said the same thing, is at a certain point, you just have to say, like, no, that's not how we work. This is what it's going to cost. And you explain the value of it. But beyond that, it doesn't matter how much work each specific person is going to do or who exactly will be doing it, as long as you can deliver the result you're promising. And that result is worth what you say it is. Yeah. In our case, it was uh, it was two clients that we've worked with before. And they weren't particularly good clients. So we weren't that uh, sad to see them go. <laughs> and uh, the truth of the matter is that if you've done a good job, your clients start to trust you. you know. And if you say a number, then that's it. And if they know they're going to get what they want, they're not going you know, to fuss over a lot. So now going forward, have you had any – with new clients, have you had much pushback on the value pricing? Not really. Uh, um, I think it helps having uh, a lot of experience explaining it and uh, putting in those terms, you know, where it's like, hey, do you want free money or do you want or, or not? And it's like, it's like if, if you ask for a loan to the bank, then you're going to pay it and you're going to keep earning. And, you know, it's a no-brainer. And that's a really simple way of, like, phrasing what value pricing is, is that you're saying, like, hey, this will get you not necessarily 100% of the time, but... If this project succeeds, this is what it will look like for your business. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and if you posi- and if you price yourself as a percentage of that, then it's it's hard to say no. Like you said, they're going to think to themselves, "I'm an idiot for not taking this." That's it. That's you know that's what it sums up to. And uh, we've actually thought about going a step further, saying, "Hey, we'll go in it like partners with you, and as long as you save or as long as." You're charging what you need to charge, and you're you're recouping those losses. Then you pay us, but we're still on the you know we're still deciding on that because that's a lot riskier for us. I was a former professional poker player, so like I have a fairly high risk tolerance. Um, <laughs> okay. But the way I I've always thought about kind of um, basically taking a contingency fee, like taking like I will get X percent of the successes project, no risk to you if you're very confident about it. But the issues, whenever I've talked to people about it, the issues are usually primarily that it comes down to how easily you can verify the numbers that they're getting. Like you need to have a direct way to say what the change of revenue is. And then for bigger businesses, it's hard to necessarily attribute the change that you made to what they're now doing. In some cases, I think if you can easily pinpoint to the benefit that you gave the business and can easily track it and have risk tolerance, I think that's a very smart way of doing it. Yeah, we've thought about it and, and our, our first guinea pig is probably going to be a project that that uh, rules out some of those variables. For example, let's say we convince a, a somebody who charges by cash to accept credit cards and we're going to build the infrastructure to do it and we're going to take a cut of it. There is no way around it, you know? You you charged this uh, by credit card after our cut. You should pay us this, and that you know that's that's just the risk of people not paying with a credit card. But uh, you know exactly 
how much you need to get paid. You, you talked about the guinea pig clients for that, and I like the way you phrase it that way. With the road mapping, you said you're in like the early stages of going in that direction. How do you plan on testing that? Like, how do you plan on putting it into action? Well, we're actually presenting our first roadmap proposal on Friday, and uh, I think Ben Lee would be proud of me. And uh, we've actually covered everything from you know we're gonna we're gonna tell you what you need because the truth of the matter is you need to convince your client that, and it's hard to convince them of you don't know what you need. You know the problem you have. You think you know how you're going to solve it, but you really don't. That sort of uh, is the biggest hoop you need to jump over. Once you do that, then I think I think the, the client's going to be a lot easier to convince to go on the on the roadmap. He actually Ben talked about it in Latin America. Uh, it's kind of hard to get people to to go for that. So we're going to work on the on, on something he actually mentioned, which was uh, putting it as credit on the on the bigger project. So he doesn't feel like he's losing anything if, we, if he goes with us. And if he goes with somebody else, then, you know, it, it costs X amount of dollars and that's it. No, and that's, I, I do like how yeah, Ben talked about the alternate ways of phrasing it. It's, it's if you want to work with us, then that will apply as a credit. So it's no risk in that sense. If you want to go somewhere else, that's fine. But, yeah, you'll keep it. And so it, it does make it easier to accept as a client. Yeah, and we're actually working on, uh, you know, showing like a sample roadmap of things we've done in the past with mock-ups and, and, and plans and, and user stories and, and sort of a little bit of market research and stuff so that the client has a very good idea of what he's going to receive at the end of the project. That's awesome. For my mind, roadmaps, they're really... It's hard as an agency owner to like accept that you should be doing it because it's so different from what the way you normally approach things. But I think they're a lot easier to sell than most people think because if you just ask the client, how well did that last project, like how well did the agency deliver on the last proposal that you, that you got? Was it on budget? Was it on time? Was it exactly what they planned at the beginning? And the answer is going to be no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And if they tell you yes, then you should tell them, go with that agency again. Okay. Right, then why aren't you working with them again? Yeah, that. And and it's and it's all going to be yes because nobody knows exactly what they need and uh, if this works I'm going to put an altar for for Ben over here. <laughs> Pray to the the altar of Ben, yeah. <laughs> but no, I think I mean I'm curious to hear how that goes because that's I like that you've been implementing bits and pieces of this and working towards getting your agency where you want to because I think one of the biggest fears really is that it's a fear to change what you know. It's the fear to do something new. You have the abundance mindset and you have the right mindset that this is just a test. If it doesn't work out, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to lose all my money. Like I might have lost a client, but there's a lot of clients out there. Yeah, that's that's it. That's the way you got to think about it. Have you kind of always thought that way or was this something you had to work on or what, what got your mind like that? When I was uh, very little, like a lot of kids, I would I had a lot of rejection issues, and then I I thought about it a lot, and I read a lot about it. There's a lot of people, and if you can grasp and sort of internalize that idea, then you can start doing things more freely, and you can start being more you know you can take more risks. And I don't know, it's it's sort of something I developed in my teens, and and I'm I'm really grateful for that. It's something I've thought about a lot too is because you're right. Like beyond a certain number, it gets hard to comprehend. Like I know that a million is a thousand thousands, but like 
thinking about how many people, how many businesses a million people is, let alone billions, it, your brain just can't really put that in the terms you accept. It's like when people resist kind of niching down their business a bit and specializing, they don't, they think it's too small of a market and this and that, but like there's so many markets out there that have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of businesses in it. And that's a ton. That's way more than you can that's serve on your people. own. And that, that's, right. that's actually how a lottery works. The fact that they can sell you a lottery ticket is because your brain can comprehend how it's impossible you're going to win it. Right. And they'll literally, they tell you what the odds they are. They tell you what the odds are. But you're, you're <laughs> such a big number that your brain can, you know, it's like, ah, somebody's going to win it. And then <laughs> that's my favorite line is that, well, someone's got to win it. Yeah, yeah I know. I heard <laughs> it before. Yeah, but no, I mean, and I, I really do think that this is important for people to think about because especially when your agency is not necessarily where it needs to be, if it's if you're working long hours, if you're dealing with clients too much, if it's not what you want it to be, people, they don't want to have to turn down a client because they're fighting for every client. But at the same time, I think they need to take a step back and say, if I don't change anything, I'm going to keep working these 12-hour days until I do. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh, and that's sort of a self-perpetuating uh, vicious circle. Exactly, because if you keep thinking that, then you're going to keep working like that, and you're going to get nowhere. Mm. No, and I mean it's like when you said that you want to get into products, you want to think about capitalizing on AI and all of this. In my mind, the only way you can do that is if you, like you said, turn the agency into a plane that can fly itself, and in that. Whatever people want to do, even if, if it's spend more time with their family, if it's travel, if it's just code more, if it's whatever they want to do, you need to get your agency in order first. That's correct. That's the first thing you got to do. For the rest of this year, what what do your priorities look like? Uh, priority number one is documenting every single step we take. So that, you know, when we're looking for a project manager, we have a list of 20 things we know he needs to be able to do and perhaps he doesn't have the credentials perhaps he doesn't have the qualifications but if he can do those things then he's going to be a great project manager and uh, that's that's sort of very valuable because in this day and age a degree means very little and it commands sort of a lot in the sense of hey I have a master's in this and that and it, it means very little but it com- sort of commands a higher paycheck and you know we, we sort of want to fight that and give uh, the underdog a chance, you know, somebody who perhaps didn't finish high school but is really good at, you know, talking to people and uh, getting a team together and stuff, we're up for that. That's the first thing, documenting our roles, documenting the, the performance and what they need to do in those, those roles. The next thing is probably automating, uh, automating our emails, our... Our, our flows, you know, being able to check, for example, if, uh, if a client sent you something that they say it's their logo, being able to know if, if by the file weight and, uh, and the sheer dimensions of the image, if it's enough or not, you know, those little steps can really add up if you're, if you're building 20 things a year or something like that. Are you familiar with Brennan Dunn at all? Uh, I don't think I am. So he actually partnered with Ben Lee on creating, they created a course for Project Roadmaps, but Brennan does a lot with um, freelancers and he helps agencies kind of automate a lot of their processes as well. He had an um, essay he wrote, basically talked about using 
Zapier and a couple and PipeDrive and a couple other tools to automate a lot of this. So I'll make sure I'll email it to you right after this and I'll make sure to put it up in the show notes because this, I think this will help you kind of implement a lot in the listeners too who are thinking about how to set up a lot of these automations. Yeah, that, that sounds really, uh, really, really practical. Exactly. Yeah. So I'll send you that right over. So sorry. So the automations was an important thing. And then, and the last thing, uh, is probably focusing on, on, on growing, growing, like, uh, having, uh, Three more quarters like this one. That that's pretty much it, you know. Sales, management, documentation. If you could tell yourself something before you launched K Pro in 2013, with what you know now, like what would you tell yourself? Just be careful who you partner with. Mm. That's probably it. And that's a good. I mean, that's something that I think a lot of people, especially in the agency world, when they start out, they partner with another freelancer. And neither of them are very clear about what needs to be done, and it, it oftentimes it doesn't work well. Nobody's at fault. It's just perhaps they had different interests, but uh, you know it seemed like a good idea. Just be careful. It doesn't mean don't do it. It doesn't mean do it all the time. It just means be careful. Be extra careful. You know, you, you know, it's not your drinking buddy. It's not something you're gonna go out for for one night or two nights. It's somebody you're gonna venture into something that you know you could probably think of uh, as a marriage, as a five ten year marriage. Right, because that's the thing is you're, and a lot of times you're almost going to be spending more time with your business partner than yeah. with your family. Yeah, that's 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 crazy if you think about it. That's a very good. No, <laughs> that's a very good thing to think about if if you're thinking about partnering with someone. Is there somebody somebody I can spend that much time with? Right, nine to five. I mean, hopefully, I uh, know a lot of agency owners have the goal of working away from that. But in the early days, you're going to be putting in the hours to get things built, and that's what you're going to be spending. It's going to be intense. Yeah. Yeah. I asked you this question before via email, and you said you're probably the least qualified person to ask, but I still want to ask, what do you think most agencies could do to improve their business? What do you think most of the agencies are missing out on? I think it's something we talked about a lot, and it's automation. If you focus on, on automating things, then you know it's a corollary that you're going to focus on things that provide value. Because by definition, things that can be automated, they don't fr provide much value. I think automation is, you know, I think this talk really opened my mind to the answer to that question. I think that's something you should focus on because it, it serves two purposes. It frees your time and it, it lets you focus on the things that really need you, you know, and know what things really need you. Right. And I think this ties back into what you were saying with AI is that as time goes on, more and more things are able to be automated. Yeah, that's correct. I think uh, it's going to take us by surprise how much things are going to be able to be automated. You know, there's, I think that one day in the near future, uh, something like Sapier is going to, is going to launch a, a neural network service where you, you know, send 10 processed Excel files and, and they will know what to do with them. And so you just put in something and it throws out something that used to take five, six hours to, to do. You know, something like that, that's going to really surprise us and it's going to be like, oh my God, that's going to take a lot of jobs from people. And I think we should prepare for that. Oh, no, I agree entirely. And I mean, with regardless of how it looks, there's clearly going to be changes coming in what is possible with automation, with AI, with machine learning and all of that. And so I think staying on top of that, and especially for the foreseeable future, I, I don't see the true value-added strategy going anywhere. But 
you can't say forever. You can't say things like that. And so I think it's all about positioning yourself to stay in front of the trends for as long as you can. Yep. That's, you know, that's what you have to aim for. You know, you, you know, you're always going to be uh, a step behind, but one day you, you might just get the trend with the right timing and that, that might be the strike of thunder. Yeah, exactly. Just to wrap things up, what would you tell an agency owner who might still be dealing with some of those fears of rejection that they're they're a little worried about taking that first step to try to implement some of these things in their own agency? I like to think a lot about how short life is. And that sounds very philosophical, but it has really practical applications, you know. There's a chart out there that has a little square for every month of your life. And you can download it and just sort of check the, each month or each week. I think there's also a week one, uh, each week that's, gonna, that's gone by. And once you put that up in your wall and, and you see how many weeks you have left, it, it really gets you to think a bit about, you know, is this really what, what I want to do for the rest of, of my life, for the rest of, of the life of this agency, for the rest of this period? Do I really don't want to venture into selling this new product, into creating this new thing, etc. You know, that really puts things in perspective, thinking about death, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that almost gave me anxiety just thinking about, like, <laughs> checking off another box like that. But I can see at the same time how it's like, if you aren't happy with the way things are right now, doing nothing won't make them better. There's a, uh, somebody talked about, if, if you really do the math, then odds are you're going to read about... 500 books in your life and and that's if you read a lot and that's not a lot of books considering that you know there's thousands upon thousands of books and it, it works the same with ventures and with clients and with with projects you know if you think about how much how many you're going to really be able to execute if you're not passionate about every single thing you do uh, you know you might lose a chance to to really enjoy yourself and i, I think we should think about that more Absolutely. No, and honestly, this was a really fun chat for me. It was, it was, I really liked hearing about kind of what went well, what didn't, what it was like implementing it all. So I'm really glad we did this. Was there anything you wanted to add before we, we end for the day? No, I think that, that uh, pretty much sums it up. I, I'll let you know at the end of the year how it worked out, you know, if, if, if it did or didn't. Yeah, no, I definitely want to check in on you. We'll do a little update on, on if, AI has taken over the world or if John has been able to grow Keypro into this worldwide organization with a great uh, product out there. Yeah, I'll let you talk to my to my robot, you know, to my <laughs> to my AI uh, virtual assistant. <laughs> All right, well John, I really appreciate it and thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you, Andy. Have a nice day. Thanks you too. Bye-bye. Even though I'm not exactly as concerned as John about robots taking over the world anytime soon, I loved hearing his story. And I put out a new episode every week, and I make sure every episode has something I think can help an agency owner really improve their business. But as the episodes and advice piles up, it really can get overwhelmed to know what to actually do. And all too often, having too many options leads to analysis paralysis, and nothing gets done. John's approach was great. Start where you need the most improvement, and just take the first step. If it feels like you have no free time to work on your business, then find a way to put aside even just a couple of hours a week to tackle the biggest pain in your business. For John, that first step was improving his client onboarding to minimize the constant back and forth that went on throughout a project, eating up his time week after week. 
And by making that process more efficient, he then had even more time to focus on the other parts of his business. So not only does he have more time to sell, but he has more time to improve how he sells. And then he can start experimenting the roadmaps and all the other ideas he wants to try out. If your agency isn't where you want it to be, you need to realize that if you just keep going through the motions, nothing is going to change. So my challenge to you is to take a step back, look at your agency to see what's eating your time up without providing a real return, and take the first step towards fixing it. I know it can seem like an insurmountable journey, but even a marathon starts with one step. Next week, I'll be back with Carl Sakis, who talks more about the solar processes to build into your agency to help it run smoother and more profitably. And I promise, it really is more exciting than that sounds. I'll talk to you guys later. See ya. See ya.